Well, good morning. It's a joy to be with you. My name is Chris Colquitt. I'm the senior pastor here, and it's wonderful uh, to have visitors this morning. If you are a visitor, I'd love to meet you after the service. If you haven't met me yet and you've been here a long time, I'd also love to meet you. I think I'm going to end up down here because I'm going to do the end of it, so come, come see me down front uh, after the service. This summer, we're looking at the Psalms, and particularly the Psalms of Asaph, a particular collection of Psalms. And this morning, we come to Psalm 77. Let's read that. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them. It's printed for you in your bulletin as well. This is Psalm 77. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. And my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. And earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. O great God in heaven, our Father who loves us. What a joy it is, what a privilege it is to gather here this morning, called by your word into your worship. Father, we could not know you if you didn't reveal yourself to us. We thank you that you have in all of nature, such that we know that you are, and we thank you even more that you have revealed to us in your scriptures and through your Son, your saving plan for salvation. Father, we pray now that as we attend to your word, you would be with us. Lord, the Holy Spirit who breathed out these words, would he be among us? That I might speak truly and clearly and boldly of things of you. And that all of us might see, hear, and treasure Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our one and only hope and comfort in life and in death. 
Free us from distractions in these moments. Draw our hearts to you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So in recent weeks, we've been building up, sort of by accident, well, not by accident, by God's providence. I'd like to say this was all on purpose, and I was a brilliant planner of the text, but the Lord just did it. We've been building up a a picture of what it looks like for us to relate to God. What does it look like for us to be in relationship to God? And we've seen that God is very happy to be the provider for us. God wants us to need him. He wants us to call to him. He wants to provide for us. He's not looking for us to graduate into independence. He's very happy for us to remain independent, whether for our daily needs, for our glory. And part of that, as we looked at last week, is listening to him for guidance in life and for the justifying, adopting words of our salvation. We need God. It's on display most of all in the gospel of Jesus to whom we bring nothing but our guilt and shame, and he provides everything, forgiveness, righteousness, acceptance before God. These are beautiful things, these are true things, these are good things, and they're clearly the teaching of the scriptures. Even thousands of years before Christ, these pages of Psalms point to him. And yet... It's possible for us, and maybe this was your experience this week, to hear and affirm and appreciate all of these truths, and then yet to struggle in different ways for these things to get deep into our heart in a real and deep-felt way. This week and next, we're going to be looking at different perspectives on struggling with this relationship. Next week, we'll look at Psalm 73 and the experience of envying the prosperity of those who aren't seemingly following God. This week, we consider what it looks like when in the midst of trouble and trial, we can't seem to get through to God. It doesn't seem to be working in our hearts. Something is off, spiritual dryness or despair. We're not feeling it. And the psalmist in Psalm 77 begins this psalm the right way. Look at the first few sentences. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God. He will hear me. In the day of trouble I seek the Lord. In the night my hand is stretched out without wearying. The psalmist has been listening to the other psalms we've been reading, and he's doing it. He's in trouble. What is he supposed to do when he's in trouble? He's supposed to seek the Lord. He's praying diligently. He's up all night praying to God without tiring. And yet, we see what? My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Something's not right. And this psalm is going to help us both to see what's going on when things go wrong, and that's a very familiar feeling, at least to me, and also give us a sense of how we get out of that spiritual funk, all right? So that's what we're going to be looking at today. And, and as by way of an outline, here's, here's something for you if you take notes. First, we're going to look at forgetting the song. Second, remembering the deeds. And third, remembering the way. Forgetting the song, remembering the deeds, and remembering the way. 
So this psalm is valuable for lots of reasons, but one is that it provides a vivid and very realistic picture, and therefore an encouraging picture we're going to see, of what spiritual dryness looks like in our life. Before considering the solution to that, which this psalm does offer, I want us to think about how that works in practice. We already read verses 2 and 3 that the psalmist is not feeling any comfort. He's trying. It doesn't feel comforting. The very thought of God is painful to him. It makes him moan. And he seems to lack the energy to sit and meditate on the things of God. His spirit faints within him. Verse 4 adds to that picture, You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. Things are not going well. He's exhausted and deeply troubled. And all this, while he appears to be doing the right thing, crying to God, seeking him in the day of trouble, praying to him constantly. And the image this psalm uses of that feeling is beautiful and poetic, and I want to just meditate on it for a second, which is this. He says, this feeling, it's like, it's like forgetting a song I used to know. It's like forgetting a song I used to know. Look at verse 5 and 6. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. He hasn't always felt this spiritual dryness and distance from God. He's known spiritual joy. He's known vitality. He's known those things that the rest of the Psalms, a lot of them speak about. But he's not feeling it right now. This idea of singing is helpful because both in reality and in a poetic sense, we can say something out loud, not along, but to sing it implies that it's coming from deep inside of us. Now, it's possible, and I certainly have come to church and mouthed along with words, and I sing them. But really singing the words of God implies a heartfelt embrace that in this moment is missing from the psalmist. He can't do it. He used to know the melody. He used to know how to sing along. It's not coming out. Now, pause here to acknowledge, hopefully, what all of us are thinking, which is that's familiar. If you've been a Christian for any period of time, you've felt this. And, and most of us in this moment, this week, are not at the highest spiritual vitality we've ever been at. A couple of y'all might be, and that's awesome. But statistically, we all can look back and say, I remember when I sang that song, and I meant it, and I meant it more than I can sing it right now. That might be different things for all of us. For some of us, it's our, that, those college days when you were in college ministry, right? You were excited, you were eager, somebody was meeting with you every other day to pray with you, and you were on fire for Jesus. And now, you're not, or not as much. Maybe it was your conversion experience. Maybe it was some time overseas when you got to see the work of God. But you remember it. And there's a certain insecurity that we feel when we don't remember it anymore. We don't experience it anymore. Now, the psalm here is helpfully nonspecific about what's going on in the life of the psalmist. 
That's on purpose so that we can all use this psalm. And it could be that something really bad is going on, and it seems like there might be. But I, I also can read this psalm, and I do this week as I'm studying for it. I read it as a parent of young children and as a guy who's starting a new job, feeling just a baseline sense of being overwhelmed by life, right? And in that moment, in that trouble, which is everyday trouble, it's hard to sing the song that I remember. It's hard to conjure up that feeling that I have had before and know well and wish that I had once more. A word to those of you who are here who maybe are not yet Christians. First, welcome. We're so glad that you are here among us. This psalm is written by somebody who has experienced this song, who sang it before. But the things we're saying apply very much to those of us who are hoping to someday sing this song and not yet able to. If you are here this morning, you're surrounded by people who you look at and you say, they seem to really get this thing. And I'm trying, but I'm not sure that I'm singing it from the heart yet. If that's you this morning, this psalm has a lot to say to us as well. The first thing, though, that I want to do before we jump into fixing it is just to be encouraged that this psalm exists, okay? This psalm is in the Bible, God's hymn book, for you and for me to sing because God expects and knows that that feeling of nostalgic wishing we had that faith that we had before is not unusual. In fact, it's very much a part of everyone's life. Spiritual dryness is not good or fun, but it also isn't unusual. We need to know this in our insecurity as we feel this distance from time to time from God. You're not, you're not abnormal. You're not defective. This is very much what it looks like to walk with God in this world. Be encouraged. Now, the psalmist in our psalm tries to find the song, right? In verse 6, he says, My spirit made a diligent search, trying to find it. And what, and what does he find? And this is fascinating. Verses 7 to 9 are, are kind of an anti-hymn. These questions, Will the Lord spurn forever and never again find me favorable? That word spurn is the word cast off, which will matter in a second. Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger shut up his compassion? Psalmist is trying to remember the song, and he just has questions. But those questions, we don't know what song he was trying to remember, if there was a particular hymn he was trying to sing. But in studying this psalm, it's been very helpful to notice that those words, those questions, tie to a very similar passage with similar language and a similar context. And that's found in Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations, as the, as the title of that book suggests, occurs in a similar context of trouble and affliction, of a temptation to despair. But in Lamentations 3, Jeremiah takes us to the turning point for him. Verse 21 of Lamentations 3, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. 
The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And then verse 31, for the Lord will not cast off or spurn forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Do you hear, do you hear all those parallels to what the psalmist is saying? The Lord will not cast off forever. And the psalmist says, I don't think I can sing that. His steadfast love never ends. His mercies never come to an end. They never cease. And the psalmist says, do they? He can't get the words out. And here we get a hint, our first hint, at how this spiritual dryness or depression occurs and where spiritual vitality can be found. It's related in some way to our lived experience of who God is. Our lived embrace of his attributes, of who he says he is and how he relates to us. If we don't feel the truth of his presence and his goodness and the everlasting nature of his love, it's going to be hard for us to sing with our hearts those words in Lamentations 3 or anything else that we find in the Scripture. Now, that could be manifest in our lives as conscious doubt, whether about the existence of God or his attributes, but also, and I just would suggest this as perhaps a more relevant application to many of our lives, it could, it could just be indifference. Sitting there with the Bible over there on the shelf thinking, I think that's true, I, I guess it's true, but it doesn't, doesn't feel helpful right now. I, I, I could hear those same things, but they, they, they sound dry and wrote. It doesn't feel like it makes a difference. And that's, that's where this psalmist is. How does he get out of it? This, it's okay to be there, by the way. But the psalm does show us the way out. And this takes us to our second point which I've titled Remembering the Deeds. What needs to happen for spiritual vitality in our lives? This is, a, this is a pressing question, especially if you remember those days and you long to sing that song. Well, what happens in this psalm? Look at verses 10 to 13. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. And when he does this, he then breaks out into a song in verses 13 to 15, a song of praise. Here's the principle that this psalm is teaching us. It's pretty simple, but it's important. To remember the song, we need to remember God's deeds. If you want to remember that song and sing it, with gusto and joy from the deepest place of your hearts, you need to remember the deeds of Almighty God, His work, His wonders. This psalm closes with verses 16 to 20 that describes the crossing of the Red Sea, which is this paradigmatic moment in the deliverance of God's people. And we'll talk about it a little bit in a moment. But before that, I just want to, I want to just pause in the most simple version of this, which is remember God's deeds. That's the way to spiritual vitality and joy. And make a couple of observations. The first is this. 
we are called as Christians, and more importantly, invited as Christians, into a story that is historic and that is grounded in the doing deeds of God, as opposed to an idea system, a philosophy of life that we think about and say, that's really cool. That's significant, and it sets apart Christianity from almost every other system of thought, whether religious or otherwise. It's not just the idea of a gracious God who loves us. That's a great idea. It's the historical acts of that God. The ground of our faith, and this was true for the people of Israel and it's true now, is not in a beautiful idea, but in a beautiful history of things that have been done. Christianity is not asking us to adopt a philosophy of life, no matter how beautiful it might be. The gospel asks asks us to acknowledge history. We have the best ideas, and we'll talk about them and how wonderful and beautiful they are, but they're grounded in events. They're grounded in things that happened in history. We need to be careful here, and especially in places like Charlottesville, blessed with the mind that many of you have, that we don't turn God and the gospel into an idea. There is nothing that will give you more satisfaction than pondering God. I have the greatest job in the world. I get to think about God for a living. I get paid to sit and read the Bible and ponder the things of God. It's wonderful. Thank you for that job. I really, I really am grateful. But if I turn God and his gospel into an idea that I play around with like a cat with a ball of yarn, right? that will be satisfying to me in the moment. It's fun. I can ask big questions. I can go have debates. I can think about metaphysical mysteries. But when the going gets tough in life, which is to say when I wake up every day, but especially especially when it's hard, harder than that, my little ideas are of no comfort. I don't need a cool idea about some metaphysical reality. I need historical reality deed in history. And that's what, that's what the psalmist is saying. The source of our faith, the source of our song is historical. It's grounded in God's deeds, not in my ideas. Okay, second observation about this very simple instruction to remember the deeds of God is that it's grounded in God's deeds and not mine. Fundamentally, what the psalmist needs to do, what the psalmist does, is he turns from looking at himself, being bummed that he doesn't feel the way he used to, to looking at God and beholding the mighty deeds of the Father. That turn is fundamental to this psalm. When we experience those seasons of spiritual dryness, of nostalgic sadness about why am I not feeling more connected to God, by its very nature, we're in, we're in an introspective space, right? That's what's happening. We're like, darn it, I don't feel this way. I used to feel this way. I like feeling this way. What happened to me feeling this way? How can I feel this way again? And do you hear that? You can even hear it in the psalm. 
We're just looking at ourselves and we're trying to conjure up some feeling when what we really need to do is stop thinking about ourselves and go out and think about the mighty deeds of God. I, I do premarital counseling from time to time and I counsel myself in my own marriage from time to time. Um, one of the things, when you get in a fight with your spouse or when, when things are off, right, and sometimes things get off in marriage, right, things may feel like they've been off for a long time in your marriage, you need to talk about those things. You need to have a good conversation about it, right? But a lot of the times what you really need to do is stop talking about it and go do something fun, right? Go, I tell, my, tell the little kitties that I, I do their pre go go putt-putt, right? Um, no one does putt-putt golf anymore, but it's a fun thing to do. Go bowling, do something fun, right? Because if you keep introspective thinking, whatever that is, right, um, you're going to be miserable. It's never going to happen. And that's not the principle here, but it's like the principle here. If you're so focused on yourself and where you are and what you're feeling, you are not going to be made close to God, because to be close to God is to stop thinking about yourself and to dwell on his mighty deeds. Rather than remembering how you felt once, we need to remember what God has done. There's a deeper truth behind this that I'm just going to highlight and we'll talk about another time, but I can't not say it here. The truth of the gospel and the assurance of your faith is not grounded in your lived experience of your relationship with God. If you want to find assurance, don't look here. Don't take, an, don't take an inventory of how you felt the last few days. The ground of your insurance, your assurance, is entirely in the doing of God. If you want to know that you are saved, look to Jesus in faith. That's it. That's the act of faith is looking away from yourself into Christ. Beautiful news. We can become so introspective and, and subjective in our understanding of Christianity, and we need to turn away from that and look to the objective deeds of God and especially of Jesus. And here, of course, Jesus is the ultimate deed of God. The people in this psalm are looking back to the greatest moment in their history thus far. We get to look back to an even greater moment, to Christ, and in particular, I would suggest, to his resurrection. A deed that draws our hearts and minds away from the troubles of this life to the grand plan of God's redemption. And that takes us to our third point, remembering the way. The end of our psalm has this vivid, vivid picture of the Red Sea crossing. I want to read it for us so that we can remind ourselves. This is Israel on the western bank of the Red Sea. They've left Egypt. They're being chased by the army of, the, of Pharaoh. And in front of them is, is the Red Sea. They're trapped, okay? When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Anybody scared thinking about that moment? I'd be terrified. I was driving through that storm last night, and it was, it was terrifying enough. Much, add an earthquake and some people trying to kill me, okay? <laughs> but then what do we see? Your way was through the sea. 
your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. The people of Israel are there on the western bank of the Red Sea. Death and chaos are in front of them, which is how they saw the sea. Wasn't a happy little place to go boating. It was a place to drown and die, right? And now it's stormy, right? And behind them are all these Egyptians trying to kill them. And in that moment, we know from Exodus 14 that they were thinking, I kind of wish I was back in Egypt. Slavery would have been better than this moment. They ask Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? But the psalmist here reminds us that God's way was through the sea. Now those words have haunted me all week, and I've tried to figure out exactly, I think they're the heart of this psalm, and yet I'm not sure I'm going to be able to communicate fully to you. I literally, I'm I'm not sure. So you let me know after after the fact if I can do this. God's way was through the sea. That sentence transforms their understanding of their place standing there, scared uh, out of their whatever, um, in the midst of that in that place, right? That fear that they felt on the western bank of the Red Sea hit a reality that God had led them there and that he had a path for them, but it was through that sea to the other side, something that they could not have comprehended. God is described here as a shepherd. It's one of the beautiful places in the Bible where that word is used of our Father. And God's shepherding plan for the people of Israel was not, this is what I want to try to, try to understand here, was not some negotiated peace with a fallen world where they could be relatively comfortable and happy. God did not, was not interested in making them pretty happy and comfortable. God's interest was for them to move from death to life. God's interest for them was new life, freedom in the promised land. And God's interest for you and for me as we see in the fullness of God's revelation and is is all over the Red Sea, and we could go in the New Testament and talk about how the Red Sea is used. It's an image of death and resurrection. God's shepherding plan for the people of Israel and his shepherding plan for you and for me is through the sea to resurrection life. Wouldn't it have been better to stay in Egypt? No. But here's the thing. New life in this moment for the people of Israel on the Red Sea, new life for Jesus Christ as he went to the cross for you and for me, it's found on the other side of death. It's resurrection life. To walk through the Red Sea was to walk through death. The fact that they did not die was the grace and mercy of God. The people of Egypt were judged, the armies, by that same water. What that means is that when God shepherds us on the way, we're going to oftentimes wind up in positions where it seems like there's death over here and enemies over here, and we're tempted to be scared and overwhelmed. And I think that in addition to just telling them, remember God's deeds, 
He's telling us that as we feel the troubles of life feeling overwhelming, not sure what's going on, we need to be encouraged that you're right where God wants you to be. Y'all hear this? So, life's crazy. It's right where God wants you to be. His shepherding care has not been lifted from you when you find yourself in that place. His shepherding care is manifest to you because you are in that place. He is with us. He goes before us. This psalm has this beautiful image of the shepherd God actually walking through the Red Sea. Yet his footprints were unseen, it says. And the beautiful thing of the gospel is that God took on flesh so that we could see his footprints. God took on flesh and walked through death itself and showed us in the mighty deeds of God. And so as we remember the deeds of God, we recognize that the way of Jesus is the way through death unto life. And we have the security of that, which is glorious, but then he also calls us to follow him. Our lives are hidden with him in heaven at the right hand of God, and yet we are here and the Spirit is with us. And the way of God is through the sea. The way of God is through the sea. Israel thought they had been led astray when they were trapped there against the Red Sea, scared out of their minds. But they'd been led precisely there by the God who would lead the way through those seas and unto new life. If you find yourself, brothers and sisters, up against a sea of death in trembling chaos in this life, that is not proof that God is not there. The mighty deeds of God, most specifically the death and resurrection of Jesus, tell us that in those moments we, God is precisely there. His way is through the sea, and so if we go with him, we go through the sea following our Savior. When you find yourselves bearing a cross, it will be hard to sing with joy the things of God's faithfulness and kindness, and yet, at that moment, we know most of all that the shepherd is with us, guiding us in our way, looking to Jesus, our Savior, who went first. I don't know if that worked. I think it's true. Brothers and sisters, sometimes it's hard for us to sing this song that we either remember from some period of spiritual joy or that we've never known before. And this psalm tells us that the way to remember it, the way to learn it, is to look to the mighty deeds of God. And when we look and we see them and we see that the way of the, fo- uh, the, way of the shepherd is through the sea and we see the footprints of Jesus leading that way and we feel the chaos and overwhelmingness and suffering of this life, we say we're right where we need to be. Our shepherd guides us. Great is his faithfulness. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this, your word. I do pray that my bumbling attempts to explain and explain Zolt over it would be blessed by your spirit, Lord. We are forgetful people. We are scared people. 
We need your strength. We need your spirit to testify to us of the mighty deeds of God. What a joy that you have given us not only your word, but your spirit who testifies in our hearts that we are beloved sons of the Most High God. Would you do that work in us this week? Get us away from just eternal introspection about how our faith is going and get us focused on Jesus Christ and the mighty deeds of God, most of all his resurrection and reign. We ask this in his name. Amen.